I invite you this morning, just, just take a deep breath. Fill your lungs up. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? Do that one more time. Just, just fill your lungs with air. Take another breath. Inhale fully. Exhale slowly. Just pay attention to the air flowing through your body. I gotta tell you, I had a fleeting thought on the way to worship this morning that maybe we should just take like 20 minutes and breathe. And we're not gonna do that today. But if at the end of worship you think that's what we should have done, just let me know because maybe second service could have that experience and you can, you can stay and do that. I want you just to, to keep breathing, though, for a moment and focus on every breath as a gift. Breathe in and breathe out and know God is present in the space and in your life, in you. I have a hunch that there are some of us here today who need more moments like this in our lives. Moments to just breathe and to be. Maybe more than a few of us need moments like this in, in our lives. Just let go of the tension of life for a minute. To give thanks to God for every breath and just, just to rest. To rest from all those things that seem to demand our attention. to rest and know God's presence. Just to rest. Let's pray. Holy God, meet us here in these words, between these words. Help us to know not that we need to, you to come, but that you are already here with us as you are in each and every moment. And these moments help us to find what we need to connect more deeply with you and with your love in Jesus. Whether that comes from the words, Lord, I am about to speak, or whether it comes just for a chance to sit and relax and know you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week on the radio, I heard this story about teenagers, specifically teenage girls in our country today, and they shared a statistic from a CDC study that showed that three out of five girls between the ages of 14 and 18 suffered for more than two weeks of persistent sadness in the last year, a sign of depression. Three out of five girls in our culture are experiencing signs of depression, significant sadness for at least two weeks in a year. 
And I heard that statistic, and I immediately started to think, I don't know what you think when you hear statistics, but I'm always like, I always have questions. And I was like, well, is that so different? Like, like maybe that's just teenagers. I mean, at teenage time, we always say, is, it's tough, maybe that's just teenagers. But before I even finished that thought, the, the report, uh, the lead researcher on the report said that they also found that teen girls who persistently um, feel sad and hopeless is up 60%. Over the last 10 years, 2011 to 2021, there was also an increase for boys, though it wasn't as dramatic. And then I got curious, and I was like, what about us as adults? Like, are we as adults feeling this anxiety, this tension, this, this struggle? And studies show increases. I, I went and I just, like, scanned studies that are out there. And studies again and again show in the last 20 years rates of growth for depression and anxiety and emotional stress. According to the National Institute of Health, 19% of people in the United States suffer in any given year from an anxiety disorder. Now, that, that isn't just like I'm feeling stressed. An anxiety disorder is, is essentially diagnosed when, that, when that, those stressors start to affect your life, your sleep, your work, your health. That means one in five of us sitting here, according to those statistics, are likely to have an anxiety that affects us in dramatic ways in this, in this year. And I, I'm sorry to say this, but for women, those statistics are actually, are actually more hard to hear. One in four. It's about 24, 25%. Now, the full landscape of anxiety and, and stress in our culture, and I, I should just pause to say, because another one of my questions is, is this about COVID? Is this about the last couple of years? And, and the truth is, these, these trends uh, started from 2000 to 2011 to 2021. They're pretty consistent. So it, it doesn't show like there's a bump in COVID, but it comes back down. And so that it's an it's a increase in anxiety for all of us. And the full landscape and experience of that is, is complicated, a lot going on. But I share all of this, what really feels like bad news, because I believe that the encounter with Jesus that we are going to explore today in Matthew's gospel may speak to us, to the church, in a way that we might speak to the world and experience for ourselves a way to live and find rest and relief in the tension and anxieties of our world today. I think the encounters with Jesus today might, might just point us to the kind of rest and relief that so many people desperately seek these last several weeks, we've been walking through the gospel of Matthew and examining the encounters with Jesus and how they might speak to us and lead to our own encounters with Jesus today. We're going to pick up Matthew's account today in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn and follow along. Before we get to the actual encounter with Jesus, we're starting in Matthew chapter 11 to see what Jesus says just before these next encounters. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. Matthew says this, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son 
chooses to reveal him. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In the time of Jesus, the yoke referred to taking on the teaching of the Torah. It was said you would be yoked to a rabbi, to a teacher, and that teacher would help you to live in service and servitude in, and essentially in obedience to the Torah, to the teaching of, of God. Notice that Jesus is inviting his followers to take on his yoke, his understanding of the Torah, his, his understanding of, the, of, of what it means to live in, in God's presence. He isn't promising that the world will have less suffering or that there won't be challenges and, and life will be easy. That's not what he promises. What he says is, if you'll follow me, if you'll follow the way that I am going to teach you, I'm going to reveal the Father to you. I'm going to, I'm going to reveal God to you. If you will take on my yoke, you will understand God and God's grace and mercy more fully. And in serving and orienting your life to God, my teaching will give rest to your soul. Now, immediately after this, two encounters happen. Matthew relays two encounters that happen on the Sabbath, on the Jewish day of rest. We pick up the story in Matthew in, in chapter 12. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." And then Matthew goes on to the second encounter. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, 
Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He then said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plowed how they might destroy Jesus. Now, it might be easy to read of these encounters, and like the first thought that often comes into our heads is, oh, Jesus is throwing out the rules of the Sabbath. Like maybe we don't have to follow those, those rules anymore. Is that what Jesus is saying? Or, or maybe he's throwing out the need for Sabbath altogether. If we know Jesus, maybe, maybe we don't need the, the Sabbath anymore. But notice, notice what Jesus says. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus isn't throwing out the Sabbath or the need for the Sabbath. I actually think it's the opposite of that. He is taking the Sabbath and he's trying to help his followers understand its purpose and what it's meant for and to reclaim the importance and the need for Sabbath in their lives. Matthew shows Jesus using these same terms Mercy, not sacrifice. The Son of Man with authority. Just two chapters before this. In that case, he, Jesus was talking about man having the authority to live into God's forgiveness and to share God's forgiveness. An idea that, that, that those who were teachers of the law at the time, they, they couldn't fathom. And Jesus said, no, man has authority to, to experience forgiveness. Now, Jesus is using those same words not to abolish Sabbath, but to invite humanity to experience Sabbath. Not as a group of rules to follow, as it had been presented to them, but as a way to experience God's mercy in their lives, the way it was intended. How is the Sabbath intended? This is what God says to God's people in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am Lord who makes you holy. Sabbath is intended for you and me to know God, to deepen our relationship with God who is Lord of all. Sabbath is intended for us to realize that it's okay that we don't have all the answers because God is Lord and we are not. Sabbath is a gift that allows us to pause and realize that, that all that is good and holy is not from us. It all comes from God. It's a, it's a gift. Sabbath is a gift of time and space and as we gather here, place that deepens our relationship with Jesus. 
In this way, Jesus says what's important about Sabbath are not the particulars of the rules or, or the particulars of what constitutes work, but what is important is that you take time away from all the other things that demand your attention and spend time with God. This is why it's okay for the disciples to pick the heads of grain. Right? The Pharisees called that work, but Jesus says, like, they're just eating and sharing as we walk and talk. What matters most for the disciples is the time that they are spending with Jesus. This is why it's okay, Jesus says, to heal on the Sabbath. Notice how Jesus answers this question. The Pharisees, they ask, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus answers, he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Sabbath is about connecting to the good of, not of ourselves, but of God. If we put these encounters together with what Jesus says just before this about encountering rest or finding rest for our souls, we begin to, we begin to see this invitation to, I think, claim or reclaim Sabbath practices in, in our lives that, that connect us to the rest and the healing that we, that we so desperately seek and long for. I'm just going to be honest that the, the next thing that's in my notes, and I'm going to share this, but I, I'm just going to say this, I, I don't know how this is going to come across. Like, I, I kept wrestling with how do, I, how do I share what's on my heart, what, what these encounters to Jesus, I, I think, should invite us to question or, or ask without sounding like a pastor lecturing again about, you know, how you should, how you should live your life. And, and so if this, I, I don't mean for this to sound like a pastor or lecture, but I've got to tell you, one of the things that breaks my pastoral heart in the world today is all the people who come, who come to the church, who come for conversation, and they're, they're, just, they're just hurting from the anxiety and the, and the fear and the stress of the world today. And in the same breath, they lament how they don't have time for church or to be part of a small group or, or activities of of, of a church family building the support structures. It's like this disconnect for us in the, in the world today that like we lament how stressed and anxious we are, but we don't have time to, to gather and worship every Sunday or, or to participate in small groups of study and, and prayer that, that create the kind of Sabbath experience that deepens our relationships One of the rabbinic teachings of the creation story is that for six days, God created, right? And on the seventh day, God rested. And one of the, one of the rabbinic teachings says that, that essentially when God rested on the seventh day, it was because God, God recognized that creation was enough. God knew when to say enough, and then introduced this pattern so that we as humanity would have this day in our 
natural flow of life where we also could stop and say, it's enough. It's ironic that the day set aside for enough for us often Sundays is now a day when I even schedule church meetings because we can't find any other time. You see, I too am guilty of stepping on the idea and practice of Sabbath. Just an aside, Sundays are not a pastor's Sabbath, just so you know. So I'm stepping on yours, which is probably worse. I say all this and then want to say, before we feel guilty, because I think if we feel guilty, then we've fallen into the trap of, of what the religious leaders were saying. Well, if you don't practice Sabbath in this way, you're not doing it right. Before we feel, before we feel guilty, before we beat ourselves up for losing the practice of Sabbath in our, in our society, perhaps we should hear this invitation from today's encounters with Jesus that wants to reclaim it and say, I, I don't reclaim this as, a, as things you got to do to earn my love. I want you to reclaim Sabbath because it is a gift from God to you to find the rest that you seek. It's a gift from God to you so that you can, you can again make eye contact with God in your life instead of running along and, and wondering if God is, is out there and hear what God is, is saying to you. Jesus says to his followers, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And Sabbath is this invitation for all of us who are weary or stressed or feeling anxious to go, you know what, all these, all these ideas in the world that, that, that's telling us they can fix our anxiety and our stress, the answer is right here. And just spending some real time Knowing that I am loved as I am. Knowing that my life is enough for Jesus to love me. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, fit me into your busy schedules while you're on the run and I'll give you rest. Jesus doesn't say, visit me every once in a while and I will give you rest. He says, come to me, take up my yoke, give your life to me, make, make me your first priority, and I'll help put all the other priorities of your life in, in perspective in their proper place, and you'll find the rest that you seek. So what does this look like? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I, I want to experience that kind of, like, how, how do I get there? And there, there's no, no one size fits all, but, but I, I think we probably should say some things this morning. Uh, Sabbath is not a nap, although a nap can be part, resting can be part of Sabbath practices, right? Sabbath isn't just focusing on yourself and getting away and, and having a good time, although Fun and renewal can be part of Sabbath experience. Sabbath isn't just a round of golf. Sorry, golfers. Although playing golf with friends 
in a, in a place that allows us to reflect on our relationship with God and each other can be part of Sabbath practices. You see, Sabbath isn't about me. Sabbath is about my relationship with God. Let me, let me share that again. So I, I think we sometimes get this a little mixed up. Sabbath is not simply about me, although I'm a big part of it. Sabbath is about my relationship with God. True Sabbath keeping is spending time with Jesus. True Sabbath keeping is knowing when to say enough to the world, realizing that our priorities are out of whack, and saying, Jesus, I need to spend time with you so that I can find the balance of life that I I need again to to keep you in focus and your way in focus. Sabbath is reorienting, finding space to reorient our priorities around God. So Sabbath keeping can be worship. It can be prayer. It can be Bible study. It can be meditation. It can be hiking. It can be exercising. It can be all those things. What makes it Sabbath is when it's focused on one's relationship with God. While I was on Renewal last year, I I read an article. I don't know if any of you ever had this experience. I read this great article, and I filed it somewhere. Yeah, you know where I'm going. And uh, I've searched, since putting this sermon on the schedule a, a month and a half ago, I've searched for that art. I don't know where it went. Um, and I've searched online, and I must have read it like in a book or in a, in a magazine or somewhere, because I can't just find it online either. But uh, the gist of the article I remember, um, I just wish I had the exact statistics, because I remember that they, were, they just blew me away. Um, a study was done inviting people who were experiencing high stress and anxiety. It, essentially, it was like an ad in the paper, and they could come in for this uh, psychology study. And I remember it was in a big city. I don't, I don't remember where, but I just remember thinking it was like northeast urban area. Um, it was done at a, in a university setting. And they brought these participants in, and it was a good-sized study. They brought these participants in, and they had them um, fill out these inventories that measured, like, happiness and anxiety and, and stress, just general life observations. And I remember that, like, a huge portion, 90 95% of the people, one of the things that, uh, that they listed in their inventories was that they didn't feel like they had enough time in life, that they were just too busy. There weren't enough hours in the day for them. The participants then met with these clinical psychologists who were running the, running the study that led them through this conversation about um, essentially priorities in their life, about the, their stressors, about their anxiety, and then they asked them to complete a, a two-week um, hours tracking activity where they were to keep track of every half hour, every half hour for two weeks Um, I have done this exercise. I've encouraged our staff to do this exercise. It's not easy to do. Like, it's kind of, people sometimes like, why why are we doing this? Um, And uh, um, and that's why the article grabbed my attention. Um, So essentially every half hour for two weeks. And then they sent that information in, and a couple days later, they were invited back in to meet with the psychologists who kind of went through their inventories and, uh, and, and took a look at that aligned with their priorities. And they had this, this meeting, 
um, where they talked again about their, the priorities that they talked about in their first meeting. And there wasn't like data on this, but the, the study leaders reported just story form that they were amazed at how many people reported that when they saw their analysis of their two weeks, they were amazed at how much time they spent on things that really didn't matter. Like, and these were in the study, I remember a few of them, because they're mine, watching Netflix, surfing through social media, and pointless meetings at work. And I remember that one very specifically, because first I kind of giggled like you did, and then I thought about my staff, and I'm like, I wonder what they would say about meetings of our church staff. Don't answer that, please, church staff. Where the article got really good, though, um, this is the part I remember where I wish I had the exact statistics. I remember thinking the numbers were staggering. So I'm guessing it was like over 80, maybe even over 90% of people. They surveyed them again six months later. And they ran the full inventories again. And six months later, it was like 80, 90% of those who had participated showed greater happiness scores, less anxiety, and greater work and family satisfaction. All those across the board. And I remember reading the results and thinking, that is the invitation of Sabbath practice in our faith, just done in a, in a secular setting. It's an invitation to spend time with Jesus and just think about our lives and, and our priorities and, and how we're living in the way of Jesus, taking time to focus on what matters and then reorient our lives around God. I know that many of us are stressed because I've had that conversation with many people. Many of us are worn down and seeking rest and renewal. Many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm including myself in this, we could use time and space to think about how our lives and how we spend our time and, and resources and energy align with our priorities so this is my prayer, I hope, in today's encounters with Jesus, we might find a gift. Let me invite you to take another deep breath. Breathe in and out. And feel the presence of God in this moment. And hear this gift. We can do this exercise at any moment, at any time in our lives. This gift from Jesus today is, is reimagining the practice of Sabbath in our own lives. Reclaiming it if we, if we need it, if, if you need it. Right? Because encountering Jesus in the practice of Sabbath It'll help us find the rest we seek for our souls. Encountering Jesus in our Sabbath can help us reclaim what matters most in our lives. And maybe most important, encountering Jesus in the, in the practice of Sabbath, even in the simple task of taking a deep breath and breathing in God's presence, can remind us that we don't have to earn God's love. 
that no amount of achievement or advancement or progress according to the world's standards is going to lead to the happiness and hope and peace we desire. We have all we need. And this gift of Sabbath invites us just to claim that God loves you just as you are in this moment and always. And that truth and that assurance, may we find rest. Amen.